I think everyone is a freedom fighter. I get this question asked a lot. I think that we are all born with the innate skill to freedom fight. I think that some people choose to really dig deep into that and some people choose to not. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 210. Our guest today is Lexi Butler, Senior Program Manager of Data and Privacy at Twitter. Lexi is considered one of Silicon Valley's candid and most prominent voices. Her thought-provoking advice and opinions on how to create a more equitable work environment stem from her own experiences working in companies such as Airbnb, Facebook, and most recently Twitter. In 2017, she founded Sista Circle, Black Women in Tech, a community that supports black women in tech companies and related professions. This 7,200-plus international community has partnered with organizations such as Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Slack. Lexi's main mission is to inspire people to create their desired life journey by understanding their purpose and life goals. Alexandria Butler, thank you so much for being with me on my show, 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Uh, I am fantastic. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on the show because it, it's always uh, incredible for me to speak to people who are so passionate about a multitude of things. And I'm excited to both dive deep into your experience as a program manager at, at Facebook, Airbnb, most recently now Twitter, uh, also a Stanford graduate. But I'm even more interested to hear about you as a freedom, uh, freedom fighter. And uh, that's not something that I see on LinkedIn every day uh, as a title. Um, and- Let's start with that. What, what okay. is what, what is being a freedom fighter? So I think everyone is a freedom fighter. I get this question asked a lot. I think that we are all born with the innate skill to freedom fight. I think that some people choose to really dig deep into that and some people choose to not, which is really unfortunate. And so how I define freedom fighting is just seeing something that is wrong and taking the steps whatever steps and privilege that you have to try to change it. And so for me, as a Black woman in the technology industry and coming from Stanford, I never wanted to go into tech. If you talk to anybody that I went to undergrad with, I'm sure they're still laughing that I'm in the tech industry. Um, I just sort of stumbled into it with this idea that I'm going to be here for a year or two as I figure out my life and then I'm going to go do something else. And I realized pretty quickly that I actually really enjoy it, but there were all these gaps. One, being very young, being 22 and not knowing what's going on and really not having access or not having a leadership that really understood this concept that at 22, regardless of what college you go to, you know nothing about life. And what does it mean to bring in new college grads and say, okay, so we know that we employed you, but we also know that we need to build programs that help you figure out how to adult 101, right? And so that was really my first step of freedom fighting was that's where the gap was for me at 22. I felt like I had a job, I worked, I had management, I had people that worked around me that were showing me how to do my job, but nobody was showing me how to be an adult. And then I would start talking to other people at my company that were my age and they had the same issue. So I said, okay, so why don't we just require leadership to give us those skills? Either A, give us those skills, B, give us the time to find those skills, or C, give us money to bring in people to teach us those skills. And so I went to the head of engineering 
um, for the company that I was working in because I was an engineering program manager. And he knew me somewhat. And I said, I need $10,000 to start a new college grad program because we don't know what we're doing. Right. And he said, okay, sure. And remember, in the tech industry, 10 grand is actually not a lot of money. And so I used this skill of mine, which was asking questions and just kind of walking and interrupting spaces and saying, but this is what I need um, to really bring together the new college grads that I was working with. So at 22, that was my freedom fight. And then as I got older, I recognize that I have another freedom fight, and that's being a Black woman in the tech industry. Um, as a Black woman who was raised, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, I completely understood Blackness. I, I'm, I'm very aware of that, and um, I'm honored to be a Black woman. I think it's the best trait about me um, is this womanhood and this connection to something as beautiful as Black Americanness. Yet I'm also aware that I live in a world and live in a country that that's very polarizing and can be very political and people think certain things of me that really just fundamentally aren't true. Um, and so walking around the tech industry, I was one of my own. There were, there were other black women, but either a, they were much older than me or they did not work in the same department that I did. And so I said, okay, we have to fix that because I need to figure out how I'm going to rise up the ranks. I need to figure out how I'm going to do well at my career. And in order to do that, I need mentorship from all different types of people. But there are specific right. conversations and specific understandings that I can really only have with Black women. And so I started a Facebook group called Sister Circle Black Women in Tech in 2017, and just invited black women who work in tech and um, to go to brunch. And now we have over 7,000 women all over the world. Wow. Um, we with, yeah, we partner with tech companies to start really having these important conversations. And these important conversations are not just DNI focused, diversity and inclusion focused. I always tell people black women do not need to be preached to about diversity and inclusion. Like we already know that's an issue. But what we do need is we need to have conversations about how we level up in our career because people usually exclude us from those conversations. So whether it's partnering with a tech company and having a negotiations workshop or partnering with another company and talking about how do you go from an individual contributor to a manager and, and things like that. So how do we grow ourselves? So we are not only prepared for the next step, but we know how to funnel this magic that the world has given us um, in the best way. So yeah, that's what I do. So you know, what, what's, what's so inspiring to me with what you're saying, you know, so a lot of the time when I hear about, you know, people that are passionate about, you know, diversity and inclusion, and I'm personally obviously very passionate about those topics myself, but a lot of the times it's very general and, and it almost seems like I'm talking to people and it's like, well, what, what can I do as, a, as an individual person, right? And what impact can I have? And all of a sudden here I'm hearing you talk about this very specific idea that you had. How can I help black women in tech support each other, aid each other, get tech companies to come and give us these negotiations, workshops and classes and help and, and create a supportive community? And I can't I can only imagine the, the amazing impact you've had on those thousands of women and and the lesson that I'm taking away from this is, you know, we're all, you know, can, we can all have an impact in our immediate community. We don't have to, you know, it's not an all or nothing game, uh, which is not to me really inspiring. 
And that's what freedom fighting is, right? Because I always tell right. folks, my day job is not diversity and inclusion. I happen right. to be a black woman who works in an industry that there are not a lot of black women. I happen to be a black woman who lives in America and has received some of the most egregious oppressions that you could ever imagine because of what I look like. And so therefore, because of those experiences, I'm also very aware of how I will, will and will not be right. treated whether I am at work or whether I'm at home. And so what happens when I stand in that power, even when I'm at work, not even talking about sister circle, but talking about my day job and talking to my manager or having conversations with my coworkers, because that's freedom fighting as well, right? Being in a room and helping build a product and raising my hand and saying, hey, are we thinking about black people when we as we're doing this, hey, have you thought about how that may affect ABC community? Hey, so I noticed that this room is somewhat diverse, but it'd be great if we had this type of person in the room to give this perspective, because I know I can't give that, and I know all of you can't give that, and we need that perspective before we launch this product. And that is really what freedom fighting is. It's this intentionality to say that like, I don't have all the answers, so I either A, the answers that I do have speak up or B, the answers that I don't have speak up and literally drag the person in the room that I think has the answer or knows the person who has the answer because that's what diversity and inclusion really is. It's just being the person in the room that says something's not right. So if all I have to do is just go find the person to fix this, I have no problem sending that email. How do we make this a norm? So not every company has an Alexandria working for her and obviously looking at your incredible lineup of, of amazing companies that you've, that you've supported, uh, it, it shows what, what you're bringing to the table. But what, the, so what, what can every, you know, startup that's, that's growing or every company, what, what can, what can we do uh, to make this more of a norm to keep having this mindset of, can we take, can, can we think critically about who's in this room? Who are we representing? Who are we supporting on the other side and who are potential customers that we might not even be thinking of? I always tell people to recognize your own privilege, right? Um, you know, it was yeah. funny. I, I was joking with the coworker last week about this. And I said, I find it interesting that people refuse to deal with their trauma, but instead want to put their trauma on me, which makes no actual sense, right? So deal with yours and then come talk to me. And, and to me, what that means is that in order to be that person, you have to know yourself fully. And to know yourself fully, you have to recognize your layers of privilege. In any given situation, you have the most privilege in the room, you may have the middle, or you may have the least. Unfortunately, because of white supremacy, we identify people based on what they look like. But as we all know, everybody comes from a story. So there's lots of privilege that you may not see when you physically look at my body, right? Whether it's I, you know, whether it's you have a person that comes from poverty, or whether it's you have a person that did not grow up with mom and dad, right? Like, you, you may not physically see that on themselves, but that is a lack of privilege. And I think people need to really do this work. So a couple of years ago, I started this workshop called the Privilege Workshop, which I've been doing with a lot of companies and groups of people to say, hey, let's just sit here for the next two to three hours and figure out what your layers of privilege are. Because I fundamentally believe that if you can identify your layers of privilege, if you can say, hey, this is my gender, and because of its gender, it is either a layer of privilege or it is not. 
this is my race. And because of this race, it is a layer of privilege or it is not. This is my educational background. I know this is a Stanford um, Stanford platform. And I always tell folks that I went to Stanford University and I have to own that privilege. I went to Stanford University, which is an elite institution that I'm very proud of going to. I'm not going to apologize for my degrees. Um, but at the same time, I'm also aware that it is a privilege. And most people don't have that privilege. And I'm also not going to sit here and pretend that I don't know the privilege of going to a school that helped build the industry that I work in. Right? Like there's layers here. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like going to an Ivy league school on the East coast and working on wall street. There is a privilege there because we all know wall street. Many people from those East coast schools have funneled and fueled right? That workforce. So I can't sit here as a Stanford grad working in the technology industry to not accept and identify that privilege, whether or not I speak it out loud, but that is there, right? And once you identify your privileges, if you can identify your privileges, then you're also at the same time acknowledging that they exist. And in that acknowledgement, you're acknowledging that, oh, so other people don't have those things. And that's what we all need in these workspaces is people to acknowledge what's in front of them. Do not make excuses for it. I get very tired of people making excuses for their privilege because most of the time privilege is not something that you did to yourself. It's things that this it just happened this way. It's like a deck of cards. Um but honoring that privilege by saying, so this is what it is. And how can I give back to people who don't have that privilege? So for me, for example, how do I give back to people as a black straight woman working in the technology industry with two Stanford degrees? How do I give back to people? Well, one, um, going back you've done, to you've done a lot. Yeah, going back to Stanford and helping Stanford kids and advising, but also to making sure that I'm talking to other students who did not go to Stanford Amazing. and say, okay, so how can I help you? And let's have these conversations that I'm very aware that I was having at 18, 19, 20 years old at Stanford that other kids may not have had, right? Um, or have had, but never had in a technology technological lens because Stanford is very techy, right? Um, and so that's what I think we all need to do. And if we all do that work of getting to know ourselves better, then when you walk into professional spaces, you then know yourself. Then you can also be aware that like, oh, so this person doesn't have that in this moment. So how can I just give it to them for a few seconds, right? I love it. Alexandria, what, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, in, in, in you know, we, we have to look into ourselves and, and recognize, and I think very critically, especially in 2020, you know, I, I lived in Israel my most of my life. I came to California this past year to start Stanford, and all of a sudden I'm hit with this polarized, you know, area where I'm, I'm understanding that there, there are these deep-rooted conflicts, which may have been, you know, brushed under the rug from, for some people. Obviously, for many others, it, it hasn't been. And all of a sudden, it, there's this all whole uprising of polarization of 2020, and I'm becoming very conscious of it myself. But what is one thing? that every person that listens to this, including myself and my friends, can do tangibly to, to, help, to help make things a little bit less polarized and help really understand that you know, some of us come from a more privileged background and help those that don't. Stop, stop assuming that your story is the single story of, human, of humanness and humanhood, if that's even 
a term. It should be a term if it's not. Um, Definitely. Yeah, stop assuming that your way of life and your way of thinking is yeah. either the only way or the best way, right? Um, when we are born, we come into this world with so much stuff. A lot of that is trauma that is given to us from our parents and our ancestors. Not our fault, but it is there and you have to acknowledge it. A lot of it is blessings and prayers and hopes that come from the same people. A lot of it is the environment in which we live in. A lot of it is religion, right? What, what, what religious texts have told us. And I always tell folks, I think religion is is so beautiful. I love learning about different religions. I was raised Baptist, um, Black Baptist, coming from the Midwest of the of the country. Uh, but I think all religions are beautiful. I'm also aware that religion historically, including today in present times, is used to oppress people. These are oh, not, yes. and that's not that's something that we have to come to terms with, right? And so. That's important is that you can come to a table with people who are nothing like you. And regardless if you agree or disagree with them, you can look at them like a human and say, but I want to actively listen to your story because all of us have stories and our stories directly come from our experiences. 100%. Right. Um, to give you an example, I was on Instagram a few nights ago and I was actually reading this thing from this person that I went to high school with. Um, and she is clearly anti-abortion. Um, she is pro-life. And I was just reading her stance. Um, I don't agree with her stance. I am pro-choice. Um, and I'd like to say that pro-choice is not pro-abortion. It's just pro-choice for me is a side ideology that people have a right to choose what they want to do with their bodies. And that's none of my business. And I should not be involved in it. But and I agree with you. Interesting conversation in the comments with this woman that I think she went to college with, and I don't know this woman, where this woman was very upset by this person's beliefs. And what I came from the conversation was, wouldn't it be interesting if both of these people just sat at a table and had a conversation of why they believe what they believe? Yes. Doesn't I mean, yeah, beliefs are valid, right? And this, and especially in America right now, this like pro-life and pro-choice conversation is an historic conversation. I don't want people to think that I don't think that. It's a very important conversation, um, especially right now what's going on today on the Senate floor. Um, exactly today. Exactly today. <laughs> like it started a couple hours ago on the Senate floor. Um, but what happens when we can all just sit there and not just say, okay, so you believe this. But say, so why do you believe this? Right? Where does this come from? And that doesn't mean that when we finish this conversation, I'm going to agree to your belief. But at the very basic level, when we finish this conversation, I'm going to see you as a human. Right? Exactly yeah. to that point. I, I have to bring this up because I had a show a, a few weeks ago with Professor Larry Diamond from Stanford. He was yeah. one of my first professors. He was a, actually the very first professor I walked into class on the, my first day, uh, mm -hmm. which was called the, the Spirit of Democracy. And, the, and 
it, it was such a moving moment because and I brought it up in that episode is because if 10 minutes into class, he started tearing up when he was telling us about an experiment, him and his colleague, Jim Fishkin ran called America in one room in Texas. They brought together a random sampling of, of hundreds of Democrats, independent and, uh, and Republicans. And for three days, they had them deliberate with moderators and, regardless you know the change in policies and the change of thought that wasn't really interesting to me because what to me was really interesting was the question that they asked is they asked democrats how do you now perceive your the, the republicans across the table republicans how do you perceive democrats and across the table the two groups started seeing each other as humans and started seeing each other as thoughtful human beings and not as enemies that are trying to destroy their country. And to me, that was very moving. Uh, unfortunately, we don't see it at, at a large scale yet, but but they proved that with what you're saying, that's, that's definitely something that's, that's extremely valuable. Yeah, I think that we all have to do that, right? And not just in America, right? I, I think every place is polarizing. Yeah. Like, you're from Israel. I'm not going to blow up your spot, but I'm sure you've had some <laughs> conversations um, about the maybe Israel one, one or two, <laughs> more than a few, um, right? And just everywhere in the world. And I think that we have to really just come from this place of less of defense and right. more of why do you feel that way? Because when you come from why do you feel that way, and then I see you as a human, then I'm opting into maybe not necessarily agreeing with you, but figuring out how can we come to a middle ground, right? Um, I always tell people I am only polarized on issues that literally affect my humanity, right? Like if you believe that I should not be a citizen, that's going to be like, there is no middle ground for that one. If you believe that I should not be alive, there is no middle ground for that one. If you believe that I should be considered a secondary human, there's no middle ground for that one. But other than that, we can make a lot of work, y'all. We, we can make a lot of work. Um, but yeah. <laughs> The only the only thing that I can wish uh, that I can wish for us and everybody else across the country that going into this turmoil of of, of a few months it's not even going to yeah. be is, uh, is is to have you know proper discussions and peaceful discussions that's that's the one hope I have coming out of this election I don't know how feasible it is I think it's going to heavily depend on on where the election goes but uh, but but we can all hope to, to have a little bit more humanity that's what I'm taking out of this conversation Alexandra I want to thank you again so much for being on the show you know I had so many questions I wanted to ask you about your different roles at, at Twitter Airbnb and Facebook but you know the, the the things that you're talking about here I think are so critical and so you know incredibly important right now uh, for when we are so so thank you for sharing with me your, your insights and, and the amazing work that you've done and before we leave I have to ask for three words that you would use to describe yourself the hardest question ever. Okay. So my first word, it's actually a phrase. I'd probably be freedom fighter. My second word would um, probably be accepting. Um, okay. And then my third word would probably be curious. I think all of those three things, when you put them all together, really encompasses who I am in my professional and my personal life. Right. Yeah. I want to know more about, you, about people and yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you so, so much. Uh, this is great. And, and uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Hey.